Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nettling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to become that confident leader and take your business and your life to the next level. Today, I have as my guest, Bo Bennett, and let me tell you about Bo. By the age of 10, Robert Bo Bennett started listening to and recording or reading personal development tapes and books. And over the years, he has developed a science-based approach to success that differs quite a bit from the overhyped success guru approaches commonly seen today. Before beginning his lifelong quest to shape the lives of others, he had to prove to himself that this theory, belief, and convictions worked. So he started a business at age 10 by creating and selling wooden key racks in his father's workshop. Since then, he has started several companies and sold them anywhere from $1 to $20 million. After selling his first company uh, a significant value, Bo began writing Year to Success, the most comprehensive book ever written on success based on his experiences, thoughts, and timeless success principles. He currently runs a dozen websites and has written over a dozen books, mostly on topics of critical thinking, and teaches several online courses. He has been in the self-publishing industry for over a decade and has written multiple screenplays. Bo specializes in four general areas, helping new businesses find success, comedy, which is squat, social sciences, using his PhD in social psychology to help you with critical thinking and AI, sharing his thoughts and experiences with artificial intelligence. Our theme today is going to be why people believe things that aren't true. Please Hmm. join me in welcoming my guest, Bo Bennett. Bo, so happy to have you on today. A lot of the topics are ones that I think really generate generates interest in our audience, especially AI and critical thinking, two areas that sometimes mystify um, the audience. Right. So we start sure. with a very easy question, which is tell the audience, where do you call home? Where do you live? I live about 20 minutes outside of Boston, actually 20 miles outside of Boston, depending on the traffic. <laughs> it's a town called Marlboro. Yeah, yeah, I can understand traffic. And I always was told whenever I was working for UPS that if I was 
been on an assignment or a, a meeting in Boston, I should always have a cab or Uber because driving was just not going to be something that I could figure out. I guess you have a lot of roundabouts and things. Is that true? And Oh, sure. Yeah. Everywhere there's a roundabout, there's a, a correlating Dunkin' Donuts right there, too. Coincidental. <laughs> Good to They're know. They're all over the place. <laughs> My grandsons would be happy to know that. <laughs> all right. So let's get into this. So just how did you, um, I just want to just talk real quickly on how did you at 10 say, you know what, I'm just going to start a business, you know, uh, did you have family that was entrepreneurial or um, you just wanted to have a new pair of tennis shoes? <laughs> yeah, basically it was a combination of both. I always <laughs> wanted things. I loved yeah. a lot of things, especially as a kid. And I didn't have a lot of things. So I knew in order to get things, I had to make money. But also my parents were both entrepreneurs. My dad always worked at home. He worked for himself. He was an inventor. So we had a workshop in our basement with a whole bunch of machines with it, like plastics, injection molding, lathes. And I would work for him uh, running some of those machines, even at age 10. Uh, don't tell the government. I have all fingers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still, I do. Surprisingly. <laughs> I, I do have some scars, though. Uh, but that's okay. It was, it's worth it. And my sister was in real estate. My mom was in sales. My brother ran his own T-shirt business from yeah. from our house so like everybody did something so i just mm -hmm. grew up thinking that was the way that's yeah. normal that's what everybody did so it wasn't it wasn't a stretch for me to start my mm -hmm. business at age 10 like nobody was really surprised by that in my family at least yeah i think it's kind of the way my mindset is my dad when i was growing up um was the only one that worked he didn't want my mom to work and there were six kids so it was mm. have been interesting in the 60s for her to do that anyway but he worked three jobs so for me to have more than one job never was a, like oh who would do that it's like oh that's just normal right yeah right <laughs> okay so what is the logical fallacies or cognitive biases critical thinking reasoning and rational and what you're gonna have to break those down I guess but <laughs> why are they important to us Right. Well, uh, they're e extremely important and, and really to to take that little transition from like success and leadership and, mm -hmm. and entrepreneurial spirit and business into critical thinking and logic and reason, mm -hmm. logical fallacies, cognitive biases. I think the best way to explain it is that it's difficult to be an effective leader, a good mm -hmm. business person, somebody who's very successful, unless you have those tools at your disposal, like mm. critical thinking. Critical thinking would be like the overarching idea that would encapsulate how to how to like effectively argue, how to understand cognitive biases, what logical fallacies are, uh, how to reason correctly and properly, mm. and how to be rational. So it was it was sort of that that transition going from really focusing on, success and motivation and 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 that part of my life to the critical thinking where I was able to kind of look back at what I wrote in my first version of the book and what I heard and was taught and and was told over and over by all these success gurus 
and realized that a lot of it was just a bunch of crap. <laughs> and, I was, and I was wasting my my time and and resources. And and it's you, you would think like it's probably no harm is going to be done if somebody constantly tells you, you know, you're the best at everything and you can do whatever you want. You just got to put your mind to it. And a lot of the like the the really rah-rah motivational type of things. But unfortunately, when you start studying psychology and you start realizing a lot of this, there's major downsides to misleading people mm. by by overselling these ideas mm. and concepts. And if you have a good grasp of the science, like the cognitive science, what what's actually going on, and you you have a good grasp of reality mm -hmm. and what's what's really not not possible. Okay, yeah, sure, everything's possible, but what's probable? Yeah. <laughs> then then you could really take advantage of like these authentic success strategies mm -hmm. and ideas and put them to use. And you're not going to be completely disappointed and deflated when things don't work mm -hmm. out for you. Mm -hmm. Like they don't for most people when they have these really, really high expectations, because that's what they've read, or that's what they're told, or that's what they heard in these seminars. And then they they realize that they they can't get there to where they think they could get. And they're just completely deflated and they give up. So it really has a... Um, detrimental effect mm. if you oversell all of these ideas so th that's why like after i studied psychology i kind of went back and i revised my book and I, I added more science in there and i took out a lot of the stuff that's like oh boy this this is not true this is not good to say uh, so I, I i feel like i have like a really good product there in that book perfect so what does being a humanist mean to you well, it, humanist is is a, a funny word because if mm -hmm. you look at the like the philosophers and or even you don't have to go that back that far like to ancient philosophers like uh, Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, you can go back maybe like fifty to a hundred years ago with some of the psychologists mm -hmm. who were talking about this humanistic approach to psychology, and that's a little bit different uh the the humanistic idea originally is focusing on human beings as like this is what we want to focus on we're focusing on the the betterment of of humanity mm -hmm. like how can we really just keep the focus there and be the best we can be so that is kind of like a core aspect of of humanism but then it also comes with the it, it's kind of been morphed a little bit into well if you're really going to focus on that we have to take a look at claims of supernatural mm -hmm. and and ghosts and gods and demons and and all that stuff and we have to uh, approach that with a scientific uh lens mm -hmm. and say look there's there's no evidence for this there's certainly not enough evidence to warrant a belief so therefore humanism is like a secular type of philosophy that that does not incorporate that stuff where again we focus more on humanity and the um, there's different like versions of humanism. And I think like American humanism has gotten really political. So mm. I don't, um, I, I'm like a very apolitical person. Yeah, me too. So I, I, uh, I just kind of like disassociated myself with the humanist movement in the United States because of that reason. Like, so, you know, like when somebody says, 
like uh, if somebody identifies as a Republican or as a Democrat, you automatically make a lot of judgments about them yeah. based on kind of like your characterization of the party. So the, the same thing is sort of with with humanism. When when somebody has like a label like that, there's a lot of characterizations going on. Mm. And I really don't like that because I certainly don't fit in like the average humanist. Yeah. Um, but but I still I, I like I like to call it kind of like a humanistic approach. And it really my kind of philosophy is positive humanism, which really focuses on positive psychology, the science of positive psychology mm -hmm. from a humanist perspective. So that's yeah. kind of a long roundabout way of describing, but I hope I hope I didn't. Yeah, had a great job. Yeah, it makes sense. So, what does it mean to you to be successful? Well, in my book, Year to Success, the first chapter out of like two hundred or so, two hundred and forty, is define success and what it means to you. Wow, because how could you even go for something if you don't know what you're going for? Yeah. You really have to define it. And there is no, like if you looked up success in the dictionary, it'd give you some like generic definition that means nothing to what it should mean to you. Mm -hmm. So it's really important for each individual to define that. Like for me personally, there's an element of financial success. It's element of uh, relationships Mm -hmm. and uh, doing what you love to do. So that's kind of how I have defined success. And that's the kind of success that I constantly go for. So I urge like all of your listeners and everybody before you just say, yeah, I want to be successful. Well, that means nothing unless you really define it, like for you, what it means, like write it down, mm -hmm. uh, write it down in detail. And at least now you have like an actual goal and not just some nebulous idea of success that you'll probably never achieve because how could you achieve it when it's not defined? Yeah, I, I think that it's tied to your why, you know, and understanding what your why is. And that's, I think, tied to your core beliefs and values and whatnot. So that's why I wanted to say that in, so that you could do just as you did and say what it means to you and that it right. is really individualized. It sure is. What advice do you have for authors? You wrote dozens of books. Um, I did compilation books this past year and just finished one. This uh, Actually, yesterday was the launch of it, but um, working on my own book too. So what, what advice do you give we authors out there? Well, I think the number one challenge for the vast majority of authors <laughs> is actually moving forward with their idea. Because yeah. if, if you talk to everybody, not even just authors, like virtually everybody says, oh, I got a, I got a great idea of a book, or they've been writing stuff down. They've got a couple pages. They got a couple chapters or something. And that's as far as they get. It, they just really never take that step because if you think about, well, not only do you have to write it, you got to edit it, you got to proof it, you got to format it, you got to convert it to the different formats, then you got to find uh, distribution channels, you got to distribute it, and then you got to do the marketing. I mean, it's so overwhelming that people just say, forget it, you know, I don't want to do it. Or you have a lot of people with these great books out there that have really put a lot of time into it, they've written it. And yeah, maybe it's not like completely finished and polished, but it's enough where they're sending it out and they're sending it out to like big publishers like Penguin, oh. hoping to <laughs> score 
Um, and their chances are like maybe one <laughs> yeah, in like... <laughs> hundred thousand if they're lucky <laughs> like to get a response, no matter how good it is. Yeah. I mean, just think about like the Harry Potter books and, and how those were all rejected by publishers initially. It, publishers aren't like these magic beings that that could like look at your manuscript and say, oh, yes, they, they see the potential. It, very few actually do that. It, it's more mm -hmm. like a, uh, probably the way I envision it is a mass production line where they see the title, they see the author, they just look at how many followers they have or something. And they either put it in the no, not interested pile, or they put it, give it to somebody to read a little bit further. So there's, there's a lot of that going on. So you need to really take it upon yourself and, and go the self, the self publishing route, because mm -hmm. nowadays it doesn't have the stigma like it did back in, or even just 10 years ago, five years ago. Uh, there's a lot of big name authors going this route because you can make a lot of money compared to the 1% or so that you would get if you went through a major publisher. I'm not sure what it is these days, but it, it's a lot smaller. So my advice would be to, to, to just use a company like ours or some other company that could do all this for you. Like we yeah. provide services for authors. So if they come to us, we'll, we'll take care of the formatting. We'll take care of the conversion. We could do editing. We could do like everything, the distribution and the sales and marketing and, and that's it. So there are companies like us out there, yeah. bookmarketing.pro, and there are other companies, but just if you, if you can't do all this yourself or you're uncomfortable, don't let that get in the way take it to somebody like me and, and we'll take care of it for you. Well, and, and I think especially if it's your first book, it's helpful to have that experience of having an editor and a, you know, someone that can advise you on the cover and, and, you know, been there, done that. And so that you have a good first experience because you may yeah. have more than one book in you like you, and you don't want to be crushed because you weren't sure what you were doing. You were just, winging it and um it wasn't the best that you could have been out there right yeah it's good advice so why is it important about uh, to have uncomfortable ideas i love this question um for the audience to think about you know we we all try to stay in the comfort zone but the best things or when we push ourselves to be uncomfortable. So talk about uncomfortable ideas and why it is so important to have those. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, I, I wrote the book called Uncomfortable Ideas as a result of seeing the social climate change a little bit. Whereas I remember, you know, I'm, I'm not that old, but I do remember <laughs> far enough back when there were, certain like topics that were like taboo and mm -hmm. a lot of the taboo was like on the right side of the political spectrum. Like that's where, that's where it was. And then it started to shift mm -hmm. where like the left side of the spectrum had more taboo things that you couldn't say and you couldn't talk about. So that's one of those policies that, that, you know, was a right wing thing and then became a left wing thing. Yeah. Uh, and now it's like, if you look everywhere, You've got you've got like universities saying that you can't say certain things, you can't talk about things. So very left wing, and then you have like what's going on on the right, banning books in Florida, yeah. and in other like literally banning books from libraries yeah. because of and and this is like you know free speech. Mm -hmm. So there's 
there's been a lot of this uh, idea of, and it is different from free speech. We're not talking about free speech here. We're, we're not talking about being able to say anything you want and and with especially without uh, social repercussions of saying things. So, so people make that differentiation like, hey, I, how come I can't say something? Well, you could, but it doesn't mean you're not going to have the social consequences of saying that thing, yeah. which, you know, that's just the way things are. But what I'm talking about is I'm talking about like the the discussion, e- either academically, politically, or whatever, uh, educationally, of ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, you know, why is something one way? Or how come we're doing this? Or how come right. we're saying this? or And being able to talk about those in like an open environment w- without without like kind of like banning or making that idea taboo. So the whole idea behind that book is I I do go through like, um, you know, dozens and dozens of these like examples Mm -hmm. of these taboo topics or whatever. And, uh, and that was a fun experience too, because I I, I wanted to approach them from like, I didn't, I don't give my opinion on them. Yeah. When I, when I write about them, I write about them from both perspectives, like, why we're not supposed to and why we should and what one side says and what another side says and just like have people consider like you know what if what if something yeah. is this way you know what if we actually talked about these things um, and then i go into some of the science in the book too without being too dry or academic about the the psychology of uncomfortable ideas and and why we yeah. avoid things and why we um, <laughs> Uh, why we don't like to talk about them so it, it's a it was a really fun book to write and uh it's a it's a it's a fun book to uh, read as well and i love the fact that you really leave it open to interpretation and you're not really guiding the the audience uh, the readers yeah. whereas what, a what's lot funny of about that is when um, that. yeah it's when when uh Anybody gives me feedback on the book, almost certainly. I, I even write in the book, I said, I guarantee that if I did my job right, you will be offended by something you read in this book. Yeah. Because again, it's not, I don't take like one side of the political spectrum or the other. I don't take one side of like the religious spectrum or the other. I, I just go everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's nobody who's like everywhere. So people will get offended. Like, oh, they say, Bo, you know, I really like your book, but this one section, I, I don't quite agree <laughs> that you shouldn't have put that in there. And it's it's like, of course, that's that's the whole point of the book. Yeah. Gets you thinking, you, you know, it, that's what makes us human is to be able to have different opinions and different thoughts. So I yeah. think that's good. You're stretching us. All right. Well, here it's coming. How is AI changing the world? Boy, it's changing in a lot of ways. I, I just saw a chart today, actually, that um, showed freelance companies like Upwork and uh, I, I forgot the names of the other ones, but uh, their financials and where chat GPT was released. And you see like all the way down, I mean, a huge drop because a lot of these things that like services that people were offering, they're just, they just not needed anymore because chat GPT could do like AI could do a, like a, a significantly better job within a fraction of okay. the time mm-hmm. that a human could do it. 
and they could do it in most in most uh, areas a lot better. And I say most because chat GPT and AI, it, it's still not perfect. Uh, it probably never will be, but it is like significantly better than like the average person doing like the average job. So that's that's important. So if if you're like a an expert in your field and you're like at the very top, at least for now, you're you're pretty safe because that level of expertise is is not something that uh, AI could quite reach yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm telling you, it changes so quickly. But everybody who's just kind of like good at something and maybe like like a lot of consultants, people who do some graphic design, people who do a little like copywriting, freelance copywriting, I'm afraid that those people are are going to, if they haven't already, are in for a serious wake-up call uh, because it's people just aren't going to be using them anymore. It's yeah. when, when you have access to AI. I think one, the way that I have been looking at it is you know as a business owner as an entrepreneur there are things that are financially smart for you to do as that owner and there are things that you should pass on delegate to others and so i think that the copywriters the graphic people and everything need to find ways to embrace and use and um, modify so that their business now uh, for example, for graphic artists, they may take a week or two to come up with a design that you like. And so that limits how much business that they could take on. But oh, if you sure. think about it, if you use and utilize your designs to and enhance them with the AI, then now you can take three, four, 10 times more clients, be much more efficient, turnaround time in seconds, I'll get you something in an hour as opposed to in a week. Right. I don't think they have to go away. I think they have to change their business. It's like, yeah. you know, I, I was a, a horse cat, a buggy person and cars <laughs> came along and, they, and now I have to change to do cars. Right. I think that's, we're like in that industrial age switch. And it, to me, it's so exciting, but it's really going to take a lot of creativity and courage yeah. by these people who have the talent to really see how they can take AI to even another level using their talent. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's exactly it. I think that people need to reevaluate what they're doing and see how they can incorporate AI into doing their jobs better and more mm -hmm. efficiently. Yeah. And you, you gave a perfect example, you know, instead of somebody just working two weeks on a logo, you you put it into AI and you get it done in seconds. But you would think like, well, why would why would they come to me in instead of just going to like AI or one of the sites. Well, that's the question that everybody has to ask themselves. Like what value can I still add? And maybe like if you are somebody who really is good with interacting with AI, you're really good with the prompts, then you could add value there. And you just have to adjust your prices and timeframes and everything accordingly. Uh, to give you a good example, and, and people get really, really passionate and yeah, uh, angry about this issue. Uh, because everybody, w w when a new technology comes that their job is on the line, they feel threatened. One uh, one example is um, with uh, narrators, audiobook narrators. I've been working with narrators for you know well over twelve years now, uh, from the very beginning of of like the production of audiobooks that we were doing, and 
a you know, great team of people, but now with cloned voices and artificial intelligence, the the kind of and the quality of of work and it could be done like almost instantly it's just amazing and you have to look at the at the old-fashioned way of doing it where you're paying two hundred dollars per finished hour as opposed to like literally ten dollars maybe twenty dollars per finished yeah. hour and and say like you know what's going on here so but instead like if I, I i tell the narrators that i work with and who have like yelled at me for embracing this technology and start, I started a website called authorvoices.ai where I use this technology to help people narrate audiobooks. Um, I, I tell them, I say, look, you could clone your voice. Imagine this. And, and I've done this. I narrated my 12 books myself that, that I did. And after, geez, I could do like two or three hours a day. My voice gets completely hoarse. Uh, I get a sore throat and it just takes a long time and I always screw up. So I always mm -hmm. need to do it like editing and it's so incredibly time consuming. And the fact that I cloned my own voice and my clone voice sounds exactly like me. I cannot tell the difference. And, and I, and I use that now for my books and I can narrate a book within like you know, minutes, like literally yeah. minutes narrate an entire book with my own clone voice. So it has been a huge help to me. And I tell narrators, you could clone your own voice and you could offer that as a service, yeah. you know, like, cause you've got a fantastic voice. So let's do that. Let's instead of charging $200 per finished hour, maybe charge 50 with your clone voice. You could do, so you're getting Three one more, quarter yeah. amount yeah, yeah. less, but you yeah. could do literally like yeah. 50 times more. So, and that's one example where like everybody has to really evaluate what they're doing and what yeah. their jobs are, what their careers are, what, and how AI is going to possibly impact this if it hadn't already and think how you can get ahead of the game and yeah. how you can take advantage of this rather than let it take advantage of you and stop complaining about it. Stop, you know, stop whining. It, it's, you're not going to beat it. <laughs> like, no, no. You're going to try to, you could protest. You could try to like pick it or what it's not going to work. You're, you're not going to beat AI. You're not going to make it go away. So just work with it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's funny. You talked about the voiceover. That's one of the areas that I wanted to get into. And then of course this all, but, and I hadn't heard about the technology that you could clone your voice. So that's a great mm. thing to yeah. uh, keep in mind. Yeah, check it out. It's a cool website, authorvoices.ai. And so we are zooming by here. One more question, and then um, I think I can do a, one rapid fire. So what do you wish you knew 10 years ago? I, you know, I, I was when I would really originally wrote this, I was going to say when you were 10, but <laughs> we'll just yeah, go back 10, 10 years ago. <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny because I um I talk about like these these major paradigm shifts in technology yeah. that I was there for. Like first the introduction of the personal computer back in I, I don't when I was 70. in I think like seventh grade or something or sixth grade that's when like the first computer came out we got it so that was like huge and and of course we know like looking back at history how that changed everything then was the internet back in um, like 1994 when the internet World Wide web started becoming popular and fortunately I was there for that I, I rode that wave and that's how yeah. I sold my first company for $20 million because I was at the right place at the right time. Yeah. So that was, 
that was great. Uh, the next one that I missed, the the one that I actually missed was the social media. Oh yeah, um, that was huge, and I didn't see it. I, I thought I remember thinking like this is kind of stupid. How could they uh, make money? <laughs> it, well, it, it, yeah, there was like these companies are all losing a fortune, and you know, and it, it just I, I didn't quite get it. I didn't see the potential. I was wrong on that one, of course. Yeah. Um, so if I could go back, you know, ten years ago, I would tell myself, pay attention. This mm -hmm. is going to be very big, and it's not going away. And then, of course, just to finish that uh, paradigm shift, this latest one is artificial intelligence. And I am here. I am right on it. I am not missing this one. Awesome. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And you can see the contact information for Bo. So his website is bobennett.com. He has a number of websites, so I'm going to let him just kind of go through them so that you can see what you can do there. Uh, some of them sure. are quite obvious, but um, he is on Facebook. The Dr. Bo Show is a great name, The Dr. Bo Show. I love that Facebook <laughs> name. All right, so uh, go ahead, Bo, talk to us about those websites and what we can sure. find there. So one of the sitcoms I wrote, or one of the screenplays I wrote, was a sitcom called Squat Spot Fitness, and it, it's about, it, it takes place in a gym like in a yeah. suburban fitness center. I've it's been going funny. to the gym since I was <laughs> like 10. And there's just so much. It's a, it's a comedic gold mine. Tons it of is. Comedy it there. is really good. I watched them. Oh, cool. So it, it's, uh, it's something that I wrote and I ended up animating it myself and <laughs> using yeah. actors, like real actors, the people I work with uh, for the audiobooks to do the, the voices for the characters and right. they did a phenomenal job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it's really good. Watch it. I, I have half of one episode to go to finish the series. Uh, and and I, I just been so busy, but I got to get that <laughs> one out. So that's that's on YouTube. Uh, the next one is bookbud.ai. We talked about writing books or we talked about like, you know, what can you tell an author? Well, a right. lot of authors want to be authors. They just don't even know where to start. Go to bookbud.ai because this using AI technology, you just go in there with the, the idea for any nonfiction book, any idea that you have for a nonfiction book, you just plug in the idea, it walks you through, you feed it some information, and you could have a full book ready to go, ready to publish. Uh, you could have the print book, the ebook, and the audiobook all through bookbud.ai. It's incredible technology. Uh, I absolutely love it. It's my favorite site. Uh, that's what I'm working on a lot these days. Mm-hmm. Books.ai is sort of like BookBud, but it's not meant for creating books for publishing. It's meant for creating books that you want to read, and they're very personalized. So uh, you and you pick the genre, you enter some information about yourself, and it's it's just an amazing experience reading the book. And you see how, wow, it, it knows me, it knows my family, it knows <laughs> what I like. And so the whole book is geared just towards you. So it's a it's a great, it's a great site to uh, nice. get books instead of going to the bookstore. Uh, Book Marketing Pro, that's where we do our um, all, all of our marketing and publishing. So if you're interested mm -hmm. in publishing or marketing your book, go there. Author Voices, that's where we do the narration for mm -hmm. audiobooks using AI. Archieboy.com is my general website. That's where you could find all of these websites. And then, of course, you got the Facebook and um, my personal website with all my books. Yeah. So your dog's name's Archie, right? And My dog's uh, name was Archie. Yeah, he yeah, was... Um, Two dogs ago, yeah. unfortunately. Oh, two it's dogs a, it's, ago. 
it's a shame that dogs have a such a short lifespan compared to us. Yeah, I know. But he was a great dog. My dog that I lost just um, when COVID hit was um, Shadow, and she was the best, the best dog. Uh, it's been really wonderful chatting with you. Lots and lots of great information, idea generating kind of things going on here. Hopefully that's got the audience's minds thinking and uh, we'll take advantage of going to any of those websites. I think the advice for those budding artists and budding um, authors to just, you know, just try that website to, to write a yeah. book. I, I am going to start another podcast or make it my TV channel. Um, it's just a conversation. I bought the URL from that last year. And um, I just want to interview cool people. But what I've found is that so many people have a great story and really would love to have it as a, their legacy for their family and generations to know yeah. that they're terrified of writing a book. So yeah. good to know that AI could help them. Um, so thank you so much. Can. And as always, I remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.